When I was a, uh, a senior in high school, I was fairly confident. I mean, I, I knew that I wanted to do ministry, so I knew kind of what I wanted to do the rest of my life. Uh, I knew where I was going to college, and so I had a good bit of confidence for a senior in high school. And, and all that changed Christmas when my cousin and one of my best friends received as a gift a magic eye painting. You remember these? Does anybody remember these? These, these paintings that, that look chaotic. But if you had your eyes just right, a 3D image would emerge. And here's the problem. I could not see that stinking image. And my confidence was shaken by it because this went on for weeks. People, we, and I went to their house every day and friends would come over. They just had one of these houses where everybody was always there. Friends would come in. Oh yeah, it's a pirate ship. Hey, do you see the shark over there? There's a sh- no, I don't see a shark. I don't see anything. And I haven't for weeks. Until finally, I kind of figured it out that you can't look at it. You have to look through it. Like you're looking through it and then suddenly one day, just out of nowhere, I see the pirate ship. I see the buried, the sunken treasure. I see the octopus. I see the shark. I see everything in there. It was a great day for me. Confidence restored. Our text is a lot like that this morning. It looks chaotic and, and messy. There's a lot of bad things that are happening to our Savior. And yet, when we look through it, when we look through it, we see amazing, wonderful things are happening. We see a beautiful picture. And there's all these things that are being said that the people that are saying them and doing them, they're actually doing and saying more than they actually know. And when we look through our eyes and see what's going on, we see something spectacular. So what I want us to look at this morning is though at first glance we see a man suffering, upon deeper examination we see a king demonstrating his sovereign power and redeeming love for his people. In this text, the the blood begins to flow. We see Christ begin to endure the physical torture that He's going to endure. But we... We, we need to make sure that we're looking at the picture rightly so we really do see what's going on here. We want to see what's happening. So I want to just, before we get started uh, with the main part of the message, just give some lensing, lenses that we need to make sure that we're looking through when we see what's happening here. And the first is this, is that everything that is about to happen is known to Jesus. Right? We know this from back in John chapter 18, verse 4, when he's arrested. It says, Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward. So every strike of the, of the soldier's fist, every lash of the whip, every bit of this, it's known to him. It's, he knew and he stepped forward for it. Second, Jesus... Uh, was has the power to stop anything that is headed his way. I saw a quote from Jordan Pe- Peterson this week. 
uh, he's not a Christian, but he's kind of a, a pretty interesting philosopher of our day. And the quote is this, A harmless man is not a good man. A good man is a very dangerous man who has it under voluntary control. And I, I think that one of the greatest pictures of this is Christ because his, in his intellect and, and just what, what he knew and, and his wisdom, he could have said a lot more. He could have won, possibly won Pilate over if he had talked more. And he certainly could have, we saw with, with him just introducing himself to the soldiers and having them all fall down. We know that beyond his intellectual power, there was just power in general that literally anything he wanted to happen could happen. And he is by far the most powerful man that has ever existed. And for his father's purposes, he chooses to let things he chooses to let things progress as they would. And third, we see that the only authority given to anyone is given from above. He's going to tell Pilate this in our text, right? Pilate's going to say, "Hey, man, I could do this to you," and and Jesus says, "You can't do anything to me unless it's granted from above." So Jesus knows that everything that's coming to him is coming through the hands of a loving Father. So now armed with these truths, help uh, that those will probably, hopefully, help us see the deeper meaning here. The first thing I want us to notice is that we need to look past a bloody coronation to see a king above all kingdoms. Where we left off last week, it seemed as though Pilate had surrendered to having to crucify Jesus. But we see here that, that he hasn't totally surrendered to that idea. He does not. He doesn't want to do it. He does not want to put Christ to death. And so Pilate has him flogged. Pilate has the soldiers take him out back and, and, and work him over. So why does he do that? Is he just trying to add insult to the already coming crucifixion? No, he's trying to get out of the crucifixion. What he wants, what he wants to do is to, is to go ahead and punish Jesus and, and so he can bring him out and, and Jesus would be this bloody spectacle where the Jews would say, okay, okay. And they would look at Jesus and they would have pity on, on his pitiful state that he was in, and they would say, okay, maybe maybe not crucifixion. That's, that's, that's Pilate's goal here. So Pilate hands Jesus over to his soldiers. And either on direct order, or they take it upon themselves in some kind of uh, barrack, uh, crudeness, uh, decide to make this idea of him as king as kind of their mode of mocking him. And so they make a crown of thorns. Okay, they make a, a crown of thorns and they shove it down on his head. And then they take a, a, a robe, a royal purple looking robe, and they, they throw it around him. And then they take turns throwing licks at him. I mean, imagine this scripture. We know some from, from other gospels that, that it was brutal. And they would throw these licks and they would slap him and they would hit him and they would say, 
Hail King Jesus. Hail King of the Jews. Oh, the evil that lurks in the heart of man. Here's a man known, known for his good teachings, known to be a, a, a man that healed people, and what does man do to him? They take it as an opportunity to throw fists at him. To, bleed, to beat him to a pulp. And on the surface, it simply looks like the strong bullying the weak. It looks like Jesus is being disgraced. But let's look through the right lenses. This was known by Jesus. This was allowed by Jesus. And this was planned by the Father. There was more than meets the eye, especially when we look with eyes to see the whole story. While they called him King of the Jews in mockery, they were broadcasting his true identity. He was. He was the King of the Jews to set upon David's throne. The crown of thorns meant to inflict pain and misery actually show that he was a king who had come to establish his kingdom through suffering and love and forgiveness. I mean, think about it. They just, the soldiers just in mockery took some thorns and they, they crudely made this crown and they shove it on his head. And now, it's the most recognizable crown that's ever existed. There's no other crown that you can't identify. Most crowns, you can't go, oh, well, that's that crown. But you see a crown of thorns, you know exactly what it represents. Because He was the suffering servant. It became to us that crown of thorns meant to mock has become to us a symbol of the conquering love of the One who wore it. Next, we want to look past the defeated man to see the victorious incarnation. Look what it says in verse 5 again. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man! When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. So after the bloody coronation by the soldiers, they, they bring him out to showcase him, to show him how, how, to show the Jews how miserable Christ is and, and how he is defeated. And they bring him out, he's still wearing the crown, he's still wearing the robe. And Pilate announced, Behold the man. It continues to amaze me that all of these characters are saying more than they know, right? Behold the man. What he meant to be this defeating phrase is a phrase we're all aware of that, that almost any movie or show you watch that depicts the crucifixion contains that line. And, and anyone that hears it, they don't hear it in the mocking that it was meant, but you realize, behold, yeah, absolutely, behold 
the man. Behold. What he means is observe the spectacle. But the deeper meaning is to, is to pay attention. Pay attention to what's happening here. Behold Christ. Behold the One who saves. Behold every word and action. And see the truth of what's happening. And that this is the apex of human history. He calls Him the man. Behold the man. He aims to ridicule, and yet he points to the incarnation of Christ. I mean, he wants to, his idea is to say, look, he's just a pitiful man. And the reality is, is that he is the Son of God, but he's also known as, what? The Son of Man. He is God in the flesh. He is a man that is like every other man. Save his sin and rebellion against God. That he, he faced the temptations that we face and, and he, he could be bloodied, he could be beat up by soldiers, yet without sin. So he was the perfect man. He was a man. And he had to be a man so that he could be punished and die in our place. Behold the man. Look past the captive magistrate to see the prisoner who was free. What I want us to see next is, is that while Pilate looked like the free man and Jesus looked like the prisoner, when we look deeper into the scene, we see the opposite is true. Pilate is deeply troubled. He is being swept into something that he wants no part of. And though Jesus is the one on trial, it seems, he seems absolutely at peace with what's happening. Verse 7, the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to the law, he ought to die because he had made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. John here lets us in on the emotions of Pilate when, when they say, when they, when they say he is claiming to be the Son, he has made himself to be the Son of God, he hears that phrase and it's shaking him to his core. And, and John says here he was even more afraid. So what we see is that Pilate, though he has this bravado and, and he looks like he's in control, he's sending soldiers out to arrest Jesus, he's mocking Jesus, he's sending his, despite all that, there's fear in his heart and there continues to be a deepening of that fear the more this goes on. There is something about Jesus that, that is creeping him out, to be honest. We know from uh, testimony of the other Gospels that uh, his wife had been having nightmares about Jesus. So we see here a man being swept away having to do something that he didn't want to do. 
We see he entered his head in verse 9, he entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So motivated by this fear that, hey man, they're saying crazy things about him. My wife's having crazy dreams. He yanks Jesus back inside and he says, Where are you from? <laughs> Jesus just looks at him. I mean, this man that that he, he's just had beaten and he seems like he's in control of, he can't even get the guy to answer his questions. Imagine the frustrations when you're supposed to have all the power and you're realizing you don't. And so Pilate, being frustrated and angry at his silence, says, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you. And in response, Jesus doesn't remain silent. He says his peace. He says, it says in verse 11, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. He looks at him and says, got no authority, man. You got no authority over me. Got none. Anything you do is coming from orders from above. And there's not anything that's going to happen to me today that's outside of my father's control. You got nothing over me, man. Pilate. And I think there's an important lesson being pointed out here in the life of Pilate. The world is filled with people with bravado and, and they seem to have so much power. They have, they have wealth and, and political power. And the world looks at them as people of power, but they're just like Pilate. They're costume jewelry, right? I mean, you put them on stage and you shine a light on them and, and that, that jewelry looks legit, but you get close to it and you realize it's plastic with some paint on top. It's nothing. And that is what is being revealed about Pilate here. He's scared to death. And he's going to go down in history as a joke. A feeble ruler who killed a miracle that he didn't want to kill. Even the Apostles' Creed known to most Christians throughout history, identifies Him as a joke. Jesus Christ crucified under Pontius Pilate. As a clown. As a clown who killed the Savior because He couldn't, wasn't strong enough to prevent it. In contrast, Jesus stands here at first glance at Him, He looks like a clown king, Right? The butt of a joke. He's been dressed up and ridiculed, yet he knows he stands right where he's supposed to be. Standing, doing exactly what he knows he was born to do. Though he doesn't look like much in that moment, he is doing the very thing that's going to change the course of human history. Really amazing to think about it. And it's these two men 
And one light looks like he has all the power and he goes down as a joke. And one light looks like he has no power and he goes down as changing the course of human history. Pilate wonders, what is truth? Jesus is the truth. Pilate finds himself unable to control anything. Jesus stands there as sovereign. Pilate stands to rule and he fails. Jesus kneels to serve and he's exalted. Jesus is a man whose life and mission had been built on the rock. The rock of obedience and love for his father. Pilate was a man who had built his life on sand, on the fleeting sand of political power. And because of it, one kingdom stands and one kingdom falls through history. Folks, serving God right now may not look like much. You may look like a joke to the world. It may involve more self-sacrifice than self-advancement. It, it will probably be more serving than being served. But just as the script gets flipped on Jesus... It'll be flipped on all those who choose to follow Him. That's a great promise to think about when we see the deeper meaning here. And lastly, look past the crowd's rejecting of a prisoner and see their rejection of their King. Pilate continues. He just won't give up. He continues to, to try to get out of putting Christ to death. And he, he, he's looking for opportunities. He says, hey, y'all just go do it. I'm not going to hand this rule down. And they go nuclear. They go where no Jew has probably gone before. This, this ruler, these, these rulers, this government that ruled them of Rome, that they hated. They absolutely resented the fact that and they used to be this free nation and now they've been conquered and now they're no longer calling the shots. They hated Rome, but not as much as they hated Jesus. And so, they pledge allegiance to Rome and they say, if you release this man, Pilate, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. This is how much they hated Christ. They embraced the nation that they had hated and that they never wanted to be loyal to. They show absolute loyalty to that government. That's how much they hated Him. In verse 15, He says, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to be crucified. Think about that. Here is the Son of God, the true King of the Jews. And they look at him and they say, We have no king but Caesar. We're choosing this world. We're not choosing God and His Son. 
I want us to remind us as we close John chapter 1. John told us about this back in John chapter 1, 11 through 13. He said this, He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. So we see a very vivid picture of that right here, don't we? Like he, he was their king. They were His subjects. And they absolutely reject Him. They didn't want to receive Him. Look what else John says here in chapter 1. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So folks, what are you going to do with that? Maybe you're here this morning. You've never fully received Him. You've, up to this point, you've rejected Him. You said no thanks. Don't do that. Not for another moment. Not for another second on this earth. Do not reject the One that stands before you. Tortured and crucified for you. That if you would believe in Him, if you would trust Him, your sins will be forgiven. And He'll be your King. And you will be His people. Receive the King. Don't reject Him. Don't make that fatal mistake. Christians, let us let us not be like Pilate. Let us not be swept away by the crowd. Let us realize that we are to be like Christ. We are to sometimes do hard things, but yet live in the confidence that we are right where we need to be with God. I'm going to ask everyone to please stand as our musicians come. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And ask you to respond however God has spoken to you through His Word this morning. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank You that beyond all the chaos, beyond the ill treatment of Your Son was amazing, beautiful truths being told and unfolding before us. God, I pray if there's anyone here who's still rejecting Christ, God, that they will embrace Him, that they would receive Him, that they would believe Him, they would put themselves under His kingship. God, help us all to live with the confidence that comes in being obedient to You and living according to Your Word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm forgiven.